You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1113 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's podcast is brought to you by the good folks at McDonald's. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. Today's podcast will get into a 110-98 to loss for the Hawks in Salt Lake City against the Utah Jazz. The fifth consecutive defeat for Atlanta to fall to 4-8 and eight on the season. They're now 1-7 on the road. They've lost seven of the last eight games and not a lot going well for the Hawks at this point in time. As always, if you're a new listener to the podcast, what we do here is break everything down from every angle at these games, try to provide a level-headed perspective, tell you what's going on in my mind and the stats and all of that stuff. And I will try not to uh, say the sky is falling in this instance. But as a point of reference, the Hawks have not lost five games in a row until now since, tw- since 2019. So all of last season, which was a topsy-turvy campaign, they've not lost five games in a row for a long time at this point. So, plenty to get into, but uh, an uphill battle to come for the Hawks in uh, in a mighty way at this point in time. So, um, we'll get into it, as we always do, but uh, sort of as a broad stroke here, the Hawks did have some nice moments in this contest. They played well early. They played hard early, I thought. Second quarter got, got away from them a little bit, trailed by as many 17 points before halftime, and there was a, actually a great start to the third quarter, cutting the margin down to three, and then it was basically double digits the rest of the way for Utah until the fourth quarter where things flipped, where the Hawks had been playing well on offense and not so much on defense in this game until the fourth quarter, and then things flipped around when the Hawks just could not score. They scored two points in about a six-minute period in the fourth quarter to when the, when the door was extensively cracked open for a run. So a frustrating night at the office. With that said, as we get into sort of the pregame situation here, the Hawks did have a fairly impossible schedule spot. And that's not revisionist history. I've said that a few times on the podcast in the last week or two. Um, this is one of the tougher back-to-backs that um, is basically even possible in the NBA. Uh, going from San Francisco, where the Hawks played a very, very good team last night in Golden State, to traveling you know, traveling time zones, basically, going from Pacific to the mountain time zone. Altitude in Utah, the Jazz are very good. That's also worth pointing out. The Jazz are one of the best teams in the league, an elite team on both ends of the floor. Um, the quick turnaround, Utah was not in a back-to-back. So all that stuff matters in this instance. And uh, the Jazz did enter this game with the number two net rating in the entire NBA. So goes without saying, but a tough spot even before the injuries. But the Hawks also had injuries in this game. Uh, Bogdan Madonovich missed this contest. He was listed as questionable with right ankle soreness, ended up not playing in this contest. And then DeAndre Hunter was questionable as well with right Wrist strain, he was ruled out even before Bogdanovich was. No updates beyond that, but the two starting wings for the Hawks were unavailable in this game, leaving Atlanta with only 11 active players because, if you may remember, there are three guys in the G League right now with Jalen Johnson, Shreve Cooper, and Skylar Mays, plus a Kong Wu. So you have three injuries, three guys in the G League, and you have 11 players active, and they all played in this contest, even in uh, even in the competitive portion, not even garbage time. They played everyone that was active in this game. They ended up starting Kevin Herter at the two, which was no surprise. And actually, Solomon Hill started at the three. Um, people were wanting Kevin Reddish, as you might Im- as you might imagine, but Nate has done this before. Um, Lloyd did it a little bit last year as well. Solomon Hill started 16 games last year. Hawks Ox- were actually 12 and four when he started, which is kind of funny. Um, and repeatedly, McMillan has said that he wants Reddish to come off the bench. That's all that was. Reddish obviously played a lot in this game. It wasn't as if they didn't play him starters minutes. He actually played 30 minutes off the bench. So, um, in terms of starting, I've never been a huge proponent of that. Um, 
longtime listeners might know that I, I definitely don't really care as much about starting lineup stuff as others do. Uh, I think it's more about who finishes and who plays more minutes, and Cam played the most minutes off the bench by a wide margin in this game. Uh, Utah was more healthy than they were last week when they came to Atlanta and won without Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell played and played well in this game, actually had 27 points for the Jazz, but they were basically at full strength other than Rudy Gay was out for Utah. Um, before the injuries to Bogdanovich and Hunter, the Hawks were already 7.5 point underdogs, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. Um, after those guys were ruled out, they actually got up to, got up to about 9. So the Hawks were 9 point dogs. They did not cover, but that kind of tells you what the expectation was. If you're that much of an underdog, you are a relatively long shot to actually win the game on the court, and uh, that proved out to be the case in this game. Uh, we'll dive in now to what transpired in the first half before we get to a break here. Um, and the, the Hawks, I think, did play pretty hard and fairly well in that first quarter. You know, broad strokes, the Hawks lost the quarter by two points. But um, after some weird shot making by both sides early on, um, the Jazz were kind of being pretty aggressive with Trey Young. They were kind of pressing him full court, blitzing him when he had the ball, trying to make other guys beat you, which is probably the right thing to do, especially without Bogdanovich and Hunter available. I thought Capella had some nice energy early on after he struggled a little bit. I'll play some audio for you later in the podcast about Capella and McMillan and what he's been saying about his health and conditioning and stuff like that right now. But some nice moments from Capella early on in this game. Um, Solomon had three rebounds and a block in the first uh, couple minutes. Also airballed a three, so sort of the entire Solomon Hill experience, as you might imagine there. But he actually was guarding Donovan Mitchell as the primary guy for a while in the first quarter. They were trailing um, for the most part in the first quarter. Um, rotationally, it was Reddish as the first sub in for Solomon Hill, and then it was Wright and Jang coming in from there. Gallinari after that, he actually had played very little in this game, which we'll come back to, and then Lou Williams was the last guy to come off the bench. They, they did end up playing you know, 10 guys in the first half, 11 guys in the second half, um, which is worth noting. But both teams shot the lights out, actually. For about the first 9 or 10 minutes, the Hawks were shooting um, 67% from the floor and 4 of 7 from 3. Utah was 5 of 9 from 3. Both teams making a, a bunch of shots despite a relatively slow pace in the first quarter. And the Hawks did briefly lead late in the first, but actually trailed by, trailed by 2 at the, end of, at the end of the quarter. They played well on offense. Only 3 guys scored for the Hawks in the first quarter. It was 12 points for Kevin Herter, 10 for Trey Young, and Clay Capella had 6, and that was it. Only one shot attempt for John Collins in the first quarter after the uh, basically they went away from him altogether in the second half last night as well. Utah also shot the ball well, as you might expect. As you might expect. Um, the second quarter was less positive. It was actually the worst quarter of the night for the Hawks on the whole, a 32-22 quarter in favor of Utah. They went to the full bench unit. Um, this time around, it was the Lou williams Delon Wright backcourt playing together alongside Reddish, Gallinari, and Jang for a couple of minutes. Um, the Hawks actually could have taken advantage of this, but Rudy Gobert got his third foul with about 10 minutes to go in the first half and sat for a long time. And I thought that the door was pretty much open for the Hawks to kind of run through it, and they never really were able to do that. Um, you know, some nice stuff from Cam Reddish. Actually had a nice redirection to the corner and a good-looking catch-and-shoot after a nice pass by DeLon Wright. Um, but the Jazz had a stretch where they scored on eight of nine trips, including seven trips in a row offensively to go up by 10 points. The Hawks were definitely scoring at a reasonable clip in that, in that stretch, but they just could not take advantage of Gobert not being out there. They got done by 12, and then the Hawks did have a little mini run after that, but then there was one more run, an 8-0 run by the Jazz to go up by a 17-point margin. It was a 21-7 extended push by Utah. Uh, Trey Young finally scored, actually scored five what I thought were pretty big points late in the first half to get it from 17 down to 12. Now, obviously, you'd rather not be down 12, but um, 17 versus 12 is a pretty big difference, and Trey scored those last five points in like 40 seconds. Um, pretty sneaky um, sort of competitiveness there, swing towards Atlanta, but still, they were not very good in the second quarter overall. 
Um, and in the first half, the Hawks actually shot well from three. That was the theme of the entire game is that the Hawks, for as, as, as little as they scored overall in this game, 98 points, they shot great from three. And normally when you shoot that well from three, you're going to score at a high level. But it was everything else for the Hawks in this game. They were 11 of 27 on twos in the first half, three of 17 on twos away from the rim. So that's all floaters, all mid-range. They were just brutal in that range the entire game. And aside from Young and Herter, there wasn't a whole lot to be excited about offensively. And then the Jazz had a 137 offensive rating in the first half, which was, uh, I guess, a uh, an indication of what was to come in a big way. So there is plenty to get to from this game. But, you know, the first half kind of set the tone. And if you look at it, the second half ended up being an actual tie. The Hawks were down by 12 at the half. They lost the game by 12. Yes, they trailed by more than that at, at, at times. But basically the damage was done in the second quarter in retrospect. And we'll get into the second half and much more in terms of takeaways and observations from this game. But before we do any of that, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Bill Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Built Bar. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. You feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most Built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar. Go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie, and they're low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some of your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a Built Bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at Built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at Built.com. All right, and the third quarter was actually positive in some respects for the Hawks. They ended up scoring 30 points. They played fairly well, and the early portion of the third was perhaps their best stretch of the entire game. The Hawks scored the first eight points of the third quarter to get the lead down to four, and then it was actually an 11-2 run overall to get the lead down to 64-61. That was close to the Hawks came in the second half of this game. There was Capella had a nice help side block, a, a, actually a trio of threes from Collins, Young, and Herter. And they were flying around, good energy, and uh, definitely trying to make their mark. Um, then foul trouble hit, which definitely did not help things. John Collins had two fouls in quick succession. Actually, had that was his fourth, was the last one, with about nine and a half minutes to go in the third. He ended up coming out of the game. I don't love the auto bench there, but Nate definitely did it. He's a proponent of that. He does not like to have guys be pushed with foul trouble. With that said, uh, Capella got his fourth foul pretty quickly after that and actually did, did not come out of the game. And I'm not really sure if that was because Collins already had four or what, but they trusted Capella and not Collins there. I would have probably done the opposite or maybe even had them both out there still, but worth noting because they were losing at that point in time. Um, the bright spot was Kevin Herter, who was red hot. He had a bunch of jump shots. He had five threes within the first four minutes of the third quarter, uh, 21 points and counting. Um, the Jazz did have their one little stretch to get it back down, up, up to 11 points, though, and that was, uh, I guess, the last time the Hawks were really, really in touch the entire rest of the way. Um, a nice take from Herter actually out of the timeout, though. He had another three from there, his sixth of the night, actually, in the third quarter. Um, they went to um, Timothy Luwawin Cabarro in the third quarter after he did not play in the first half of this game because Solomon Hill got four fouls. So they kind of went to TLC as a backup four of sorts, kind of played him over Gallinari, which we'll come back to. And then uh, the Giants had one more run, and then they made a 7-0 run to go up by 18 in the final minute. Now, Trey Young did hit a three in the last possession of the third quarter, to cut it back to 15, but the damage was kind of done there. So it, it got to three. Um, it ballooned, though, back up to 18. And even with the Hawks scoring at a pretty high level in the third quarter, they just could not get the stops required to actually chip away 
Um, in fact, through three quarters, the Jazz had a 139 offensive rating. Um, they had a truly awful breakdown late in the quarter as well that I made note of in watching the film back. Mike Conley, who is obviously a great player and has been a good shooter for a long time, was just by himself in the early half-court setting on the left wing. No one got there. He was standing still, just caught a pass and shot it. And it was just a just kind of an inexplicable breakdown from the Hawks, and he made that three. That was one of the big runs. Did that change the game? Probably not, but it was just one of those examples of like how disconnected they, that they've been offense, uh, sorry, on defense at times in this stretch. The Hawks were actually good on offense in that quarter. Again, they hit six threes. just wasn't going to be enough when you couldn't get the stops that you needed. And then you go down, you know, you're going to the fourth quarter down by 15 points. The margin for error is basically nil, and they had to play Young and Herter the entire third quarter to get things back um, sort of be, to be competitive. So they had to go to right and Lou together in the fourth. That did not work, work out very well with the bench unit. There was a three by Reddish at one point to get it back to 12, and then it was 10 after Capella had split a pair of free throws. So it was definitely a competitive game at that point in time, and it was a 14-3 run overall going back to the third quarter when it was uh, down to seven because Lou Williams had a three. So that was the high water mark of the, of the second half, really, was uh, at least for the late, latter portion of the second half, was that the Hawks were down by seven with eight minutes to go. They had got some stops. They held Utah to three points in about five minutes, and all things were working well. But after a timeout on... Um, on both sides, it was sort of empty offensively, which was kind of the theme of the entire fourth quarter, to be honest. The Hawks had pretty good looks from three, from both Collins and Herter, that would have been huge shots had they fallen. They didn't fall. There was a nice ball by Capella, but uh, Mitchell had a three to go back, back back up by 10, and then this stretch kind of burned the Hawks. So that, that three by Mitchell, a timeout by Nate McMillan. After that, a, t- uh, a turnover by the combination of Reddish and Capella at the top of the key, and then Clarkson hits a three. Trey misses a pretty bad shot, one that he probably would want back, I'd imagine. And then the Jazz finally missed it, uh, missed a shot, but actually got to put back and lay up. And uh, when that all was dead, it was an 8-0 run by the Jazz to go from up 7 up 15 with five minutes to go. And at that point, you're drawing, not dead, but it's a very, very unlikely position to be in down 15 points with that little time. The Hawks didn't score for more than three and a half minutes overall. I mean, and when I, when I say didn't score, I mean didn't score a single point in three and a half minutes. Um, Capella finally scored from there, but that was only cut it down to 13. It was really just kind of never materialized from there. I will say, to be positive, defensively, it was much better in the fourth quarter. That is worth pointing out. But they just kind of stopped scoring. I said it a second ago, but they only uh, they did not score for about three and a half minutes. They scored two points in about a six-minute stretch late in the fourth quarter of this game. And you just cannot have that happen when you're trying to come back from behind. Where it, really, at all, you just cannot have that kind of uh, scoring drought against a good team on the road, and it just happened at a bad time for the Hawks. Um, all right, takeaways time in terms of the all, overall broad assertions from this contest. We'll start on offense first. Um, the offense, I, I think, through three quarters was fine to good. Uh, I don't think it was elite. You know, the, the first half in the game on Monday um, was tremendous when they were just kind of firing all cylinders against Golden State. It wasn't that, but through three quarters, they were definitely playing well enough to win on offense. Um, the fourth quarter was something different. It was pretty bad. Um, but in this game overall, the Hawks shot 51% from three. I'll say that again. The Hawks lost, by, the Hawks lost this game by 12 points. And they shot 51% from three. Now, the volume wasn't enormous, but you got to do a lot of other things wrong to lose by double digits when you shoot that well from three, particularly with this with this, with this team's shot profile. And if, I'll, I'll get into it in a second, but it's worth pointing out that it wasn't like they had a bad shooting night here. They just could not do other things in this contest. Turnovers, 13, that's not too bad. 22 assists is not good. It's not terrible. 
Um, offensive rebounds was not really a huge part of this game, but I will say they did a good, a good job on the glass overall. So it wasn't like they got killed on the glass. They didn't create second chance opportunities a lot offensively, but it wasn't like they got beat up either. So that was kind of a net neutral, but they shot 38% on two point attempts, which would be like worst in the league status for a full season. They were nine of 32 on two pointers that were outside of the rim area. So that's, you know, sub 30% on non non paint twos. So uh, that's rough. You got to you got to make more of those and take less of them generally. And then 10 free throw attempts in the entire game, which is obviously not nearly enough for what the, what the Hawks are trying to do. So um, yes, it's good to make a bunch of threes and that kind of I would say help the Hawks even get closer than they probably should have given their shot profile, but um, you got to take less mid-rangers, you got to take more threes, you got to take more free throws, etc. Um, but you know, again, even with the bad 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 fourth quarter they score about 104 points per hundred possessions, which is not good. Um, but with the league offense down this year, that's like a you know slightly below league average mark for the for the entire four quarters. And again, they were terrible in the fourth on offense. So first three quarters, pretty good on offense. Fourth quarter, not so much. Um, defensively, the Hawks came into the night as I tweeted earlier in the day on Tuesday. The Hawks are number 27 in the NBA in defensive rating coming into the night, which is very very bad. Now this is still an offense first team. Even last year when Capella was playing great. The Hawks were still below average defensively for the full season in terms of their actual defensive rating. But what they can't do, what they can't be, is bottom five. And that's where the Hawks are right now. And when you factor this game in, and yes, it's a bad matchup. It's a tough matchup. Utah's awesome on offense. It's on the road, all that stuff. But they were 27th coming into the night, and they got worse because they allowed a 122 defensive rating to the Jazz. Now, that was, as I said earlier, um, through three quarters, it was about 139, which is uh, outrageously high. Um, the Jazz did cool off in the fourth, which definitely helped things. Um, but the Jazz still shot 51% from the floor and 15 of 38 from three. That's a profile that will get you beat more often than not. The Hawks did force turnovers. They for 15 giveaways in this game. Um, did well in the defensive glass, but the shooting was just too much to overcome. They had some bad breakdowns along the way. And just generally speaking, the defense was not fantastic in this game. Um, I think for the season, yeah, with this game included, the Hawks are up to a 112.2 defensive rating. That's still 27th in the league, but it's closer to the bottom three than it is to the teams above them. They're only better than the Hornets, Pelicans, and Grizzlies right now defensively for the year. Um, That's just not going to get it done, honestly. Um, It will get better. I have confidence in that. We'll get into Capella in a second. That's one thing. You know, also playing without Hunter in this game probably probably hurts defensively, but they're going to have to pick it up. You know, again, the the, the, theory, the, theme, the theory of this team is elite offense and solid-ish defense. Right now, the offense is not elite. The offense is playing reasonably well, but not well enough to be elite. Um, and then defensively, it's not solid. It's bottom five. And that combination leads you to a, sub, uh, a sub-zero net rating and leads you to four-net record. So there you go on that. Uh, we'll have much more in a second on the players and how I vision, uh, sort of uh, evaluated all these guys throughout the course of the game. And then to look ahead the rest of the week. But before we do all of that, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more, 
Do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive in now to the bench first. And again, the Hawks played 11 guys, and they were all 11 that were active in this contest. Um, the, the one who played the least was TLC. Timothy Luabu-Cabarro played five minutes in the second half, 0-2 from the floor, had one pretty aggressive take that probably would, should not have happened at, at Rudy Gobert, where he probably should have passed. But I thought it was okay to play him. I think he's a rotation-caliber player, and having him play a sort of a small ball four in this matchup did make some sense. Um, it wasn't terribly effective, but it's worth trying. And to that end, Danilo Gallinari played seven minutes in this game. There was no injury. Nate McMillan was actually asked about this after the game and said that they were just playing the matchups, that he wanted to play a little bit more small ball and have him be able to stop penetration defensively. You know, it's I know that Gallo's making a lot of money, and you know that does matter. $20 million a year plus is a ton of money, and offensively he is still a huge threat. But defensively, it's been pretty ugly this year for Gallo, and with the way the Hawks were playing defensively, you obviously can't be too uh, bothered by him not playing as much in this contest. You know, matchups will be different. Um, but I thought it was at least notable that even on a night without Hunter um, to play some small ball four minutes, they still went away from Gallinari basically the entire second half. And uh, I didn't mind the decision. You know, offensively, he's definitely a more of a threat than a lot of guys that the Hawks were playing. But defensively, he is their worst player. I, I do think that he is actually worse than Trey defensively in terms of the impact that he can make. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Lou is worse, uh, to be fair. I think Lou is worse than all of them. But uh, at point guard, it's just hard to make a negative impact. And Gallo, given that you put him in the actions and all that stuff, can be a negative force defensively. So we'll see where this goes. But the early returns on Gallo this year have not been uh, terribly positive. Um, from there, uh, not a whole lot of DeLon or Lou in this game. They actually didn't play the entire third quarter. They ended up playing in the fourth. They were actually positive for the game. Part of that's some garbage time stuff. Um, Wright was 0-4 from the floor, did have three assists, and was plus six. That was the best factor on the entire Hawks roster. You know, obviously, 0-4 is not great. I think he was probably just fine in terms of the way he played. I think defensively, he was just fine. Um, Williams was one of three. He actually had a pretty big three in that one push to have the Hawks get back within seven in the fourth quarter. But that was kind of it for Lou. Uh, Gorgie Jang, 11 minutes. Three rebounds, did have an assist and a steal, and uh, no points in 11 minutes. I thought he was fine overall, but matchup-wise, still the same sort of thing. Um, and then the one guy who played a bunch of minutes off the bench was Cam Reddish. Uh, 30 minutes for Cam, 16 points, three rebounds, an assist, a steal, two turnovers, and he was a minus 11. Uh, he shot well from three. That was his one saving grace in this game was that he was four of six from three. I don't think Cam played well at all, honestly, in this game, but he did make threes. And that's you, you kind of needed to have those for his efficiency and also for the team when they were kind of floundering on offense. So if you're looking for a positive, his three-point shooting has been pretty solid this year for the most part. So that's good to see. Um, overall, though, floor game stuff, you know, the passing is not really there yet. Still, ball handling is not there. Um, Cam's defensive has been, I think, below where I think he should be this season overall, and that applies to this game, too. He had some really bad breakdowns, I thought. He still makes plays. Uh, you know, obviously, the steals and the way that he anticipates things and reads passing lanes, are uh, that's valuable stuff. But I think um, if you just look at his shooting numbers and points in this game, you might have thought that he played well if you didn't watch the game. I don't think he played well at all. Uh, he just happened to make them three. And listen, the threes are valuable, so I'm not saying they're not. It's just uh, sort of a uh, one of those games where the box scores may be misleading in some respects. Uh, to the starters, Solomon Hill, scoreless in very Solomon Hill fashion. Uh, 0-2 from the floor, four rebounds, three assists, a block. You know, defensively, he's in the right place at the right time, always. But uh, it's one of those things where, you know, obviously you do not want to be starting Solomon Hill. Even as a Solomon Hill advocate, which I think I am at this point, um, you don't want to be having to start him. 
Uh, you know, you could have started TLC if you wanted to, you know, have Cam in his role. Clearly, Reddish is a better player, no one's saying otherwise. It's just one of those things where Nate seems to be committed to having Cam in a firm role off the bench and uh, wasn't willing to change that. But, you know, Hill did what Hill does, and that's kind of what you thought he might have to do in this game, was go out there and just kind of not kill them on defense. Offensively, he's a zero for the most part, but, you know, made some nice passes, had three assists, um, and we'll leave it there. Uh, John Collins was pretty quiet in this game, probably one of his worst of the year offensively, with seven points on 11 shots. Not very efficient. Um, I wish they got him more involved early on in this game. I think defensively he made some nice plays, um, but four rebounds, two assists. Not his best work, had the foul trouble. I wish Nate had played him more, but even then, 35 minutes, he still played a bunch of minutes in this game. He played a ton in the second half when they needed him to. You know, it wasn't his A-plus game, but he's still been very valuable this season. Uh, a mixed bag for Capella. I'm going to stop here for a second and play you some pregame audio, actually, from Nate McMillan. Now, this is before the game tonight. I want to stress that. But McMillan was kind of asked about where, where Capella is. You'll hear the voice of Chris Kirchner of The Athletic in the background here as he's sort of asking the question of Nate um, to kind of get a feel of where he is. And McMillan gets into some conditioning stuff and where he is following the Achilles injury from the offseason. Health-wise, where do you feel uh, Clint is at right now? What do you mean? Like, do you feel like he's 100%? I don't think his con- I don't think his condition is uh, where uh, it would be if he didn't have that injury. Uh, the fact that uh, he really did start running uh, until he got to training camp, I think that set him back. And uh, you know he is now trying to play himself into uh, game shape uh, with the season start. How much do you feel like that's hurt your your defense with him not being, you know, 100 percent? Absolutely, I think it's I think it uh, has uh, been um, you know part of the concern with a few of our guys who uh, didn't have a training camp or wasn't able to do anything. So they're trying to play themselves into shape, the condition, um, and that's you know that takes some time. You have to be patient. Uh, you know. To, the fact that uh, we're not practicing a lot, uh, you have to push yourself in games, and you know push yourself to exhaustion is what I've told our guys. Don't pace yourself because they do need to be in better shape, and I think that uh, also has uh, something to do with our finishes. Third and fourth quarter, uh, just not conditioned uh, to finish strong. As you may remember, the Hawks had a bunch of guys who were still banged up and coming off of procedures in the offseason and training camp. Kevin Herter, Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, high among them, and of course Hunter going dating back to the playoffs last year. But Capella had sort of a, uh, a very lost training camp. And McMillan was pretty honest there, I think, uh, in the fact that he's not quite up to stuff just yet. Um, but maybe that informs things. You know, I mentioned this last on the last podcast as well, but uh, Capella did struggle last year early in the season. And once he found his stride, he found his stride. And that was good to see, but that's some context to his poor start, which I've definitely described in detail on the show. Um, as far as tonight's game is concerned, there were some highs for Capella. I think he was generally better in this game, though not all the way back. Uh, 13 points, 12 rebounds, did have two steals and two blocks. He was fairly active, a couple of nice help side plays defensively, had two assists. Um, five eight from the floor, a couple of missed bunnies, which I guess you just have to live with, um, and three of seven at the free throw line. You know, McMillan was pretty positive after the game about Capella and the way that he played. He was asked about Capella individually and said he thought he played better, uh, sort of, you know, better and was getting up, getting closer to where his normal level is. Uh, he's definitely not there yet, but I, there were some signs. There was also some breakdowns too. So um, it's a mixed bag right now for Capella. They need him to be good. That is the simple 
way to put it. Uh, especially right now without a Kong Wu until at least December, probably probably into January, according to the team. Uh, they have nobody else that can do what Capella can do on paper. And Collins is awesome as well, but he's still the starting power forward as well. So you have to kind of figure, factor all that stuff in. They have to have Capella to anchor that defense. And this year he's not quite been the same guy. He was better in this game, I thought, um, but he has a ways to go still to reach where he needs to be reaching from last season. And the bright spots of the night offensively were Kevin Herter and Trey Young. Um, we'll go to Trey first, 27 points, 6 assists. They have six turnovers. That's more than you would want. I'm sure Nate didn't love necessarily all of that, but shot the ball reasonably well. 10 of 21 from the floor, 5 of 11 from three. So that means it's 5 of 10 on twos. So you'll take all of that in terms of efficiency. Only two free throw attempts. That's not very many. In fact, the Hawks took 10 overall, and Capella took seven of those 10. So that is not what you want in terms of attacking the rim. But Tristan had some nice plays. You know, passing really plays up. He threw a couple of left handed passes that were just crazy as he often does. And then defensively, I thought he was kind of feisty at times. You know, it was more of a highlight variety, but um, did get some hands in passing lanes and kind of def- you know deflections and that stuff. I don't think it was his A-plus game. I think he was uh, pretty decent overall, although he cooled off as almost everybody did in the fourth quarter. And the second can be said for Kevin Herter, who was awesome in this game. If we're being honest, Herter broke out in a way that was encouraging. If you're trying to find something positive from this game, one of the high, high things on the list would be Herter shooting the ball the way he did and playing aggressively as he did offensively. Honestly, the probably the best comp I have for his first three quarters in this game was that game seven in Philadelphia. He was that assertive. He was that assertive, making shots, taking the ball off the dribble, taking pull-up threes, just kind of feeling himself, being aggressive. He was 11 of 18 from the floor, 6 of 9 from three. That ties a career high for threes in a game. Three assists, three rebounds, two block shots for uh, Herter, picking up where he left off in the playoffs. Um, unfortunately, he was one point short of a career high, um, which is actually from his rookie season, so it's been a long time. And he had 28 points in the third quarter, and he didn't score. And uh, just one of those things that happens. Obviously, that's not the biggest concern in the world right now, but he and Trey were both scoreless in the fourth, which I'm sure did not necessarily help the offense. But overall, obviously a good night for Herter, um, and just good to see him asserting himself. Also played 39 minutes to lead the team by a lot. Obviously, he was their best available wing, in my opinion, in this game, so that was probably why that happened. But a lot of minutes, and he's done it before and kind of filled in Admiral Blue last year with a lot of guys injured around him. All right, that is enough of that. Again, this is a fifth straight loss for the Hawks. And before we move on to the look ahead to the rest of the week, you know, people were asking me, like, when it's time to panic. And I will just say, it's not time to panic yet. Um, I'm not someone that's going to panic more. I think I'm definitely closer to the middle on most things. If you're a listener for the first time this season, you may not notice about me just yet, but I generally am I'm going to be lower than people that are very, very excited when the Hawks are doing well, and I'll be higher than people that are think the sky is falling when, the, when they're doing poorly. Uh, right now, yes, they have lost five games in a row. Yes, they're 1-7 and seven on the road. If you look at the schedule, um, which definitely matters. Now, the Hawks are not playing well. Before, I, before I, say, I say anything else, the Hawks are not playing well right now. That is the most important thing. That is what they have to address, and I'm not saying otherwise. But schedule-wise... They have these eight losses right now. All eight of them are to teams that I I would describe as playing well this season. Now, two of them, uh, Washington and Cleveland, um, were not supposed to be great this year, particularly Cleveland. But Cleveland's 7-4 right now. Washington's playing well. Um, And the rest of their losses are to the following teams. At Philly, at Brooklyn, home for Utah, at Phoenix, at Golden State, and at Utah. Those are all really good basketball teams, and most of those losses are on the road. So if you want to be charitable, you would say that the schedule is going to be a lot easier moving forward. Now, that doesn't begin right away, 
But let's let's just say next week, Hawks have a stretch of four games at home in a row when they play Orlando, Boston, Charlotte, and Oklahoma City. They'll be favored in all four of those games. Um, will they win all four? I don't know. But that's a lot easier than this, this, this four-game road trip in which they're underdogs in all four games. So all that said, some context, and I think it, you know, being 4-8 and eight is not good. Um, would I worry a little bit if I, if I had um, a bet on the Hawks winning you know, X amount of games, 50-plus games this year? Uh, you have to because you know you, they've not banked eight losses. And now this is a marathon season. This is 82 games. Um, a lot can happen if they have one hot streak that kind of goes away. But you know, the, the worst thing you could say is that through 12 games they have eight losses, and that's that's unfortunate. Just the just sort of the math and the numbers on that. Um, all right, before we, I guess we'll get out of here now. But um, the Hawks play again on Friday. They stay out in the West side of the country in between this, but they do have an extra day in between after the back-to-back. So they play at Denver on Friday. The Nuggets actually play in between. The Nuggets play Wednesday night against the Pacers at home. So um, no travel for Denver. So they'll actually be in Denver the entire time. Uh, so no real advantage there for the Hawks. And, of course, you're playing at altitude again. You're playing on the road again. Uh, Nikola Jokic, I thought, might be suspended for Friday night's game, but it was actually announced tonight that it's going to be a one-game suspension that he's going to serve on Wednesday. So barring an appeal or something weird, he's going to play against the Hawks on Friday. Michael Porter Jr. has been banged up with a back issue, and Jamal Murray is out. So there's a chance that the Hawks are playing against the Nuggets with only one of their best three players available. Um, which makes the task a little bit easier. That is a very winnable game. Like tonight was definitely, like I said, a schedule spot that's just brutal. It is not that ma- it's not that bad on Friday. Denver is not as good as Utah in their current form. It's not a back to back. So that's that's a winnable game. Um, will the Hawks be favored? I don't know. Will it be? But I can tell you right now, unless they have a lot more injuries, they won't be nine point underdogs either. So we'll see what happens between now and then. I'm planning to have a podcast at some point, either on Wednesday evening or Thursday sometime. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, in between games, I am hoping to have a guest join me along the way. But uh, at the very very least, I will have a new podcast as well after the game on Friday night, late, late into the evening, and then we'll go into the weekend where the Hawks finally return home after a long long road trip. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.